my fellow Americans. As a young boy, I dreamed of being a baseball. But tonight, I say, we must move forward, not backward, upward, not forward, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. Hello, and welcome to the Radical Thoughts Podcast. In this episode, Andrew and I sit down to discuss Ernesto Laclau's book, Emancipations. You just heard a clip from The Simpsons, and are now listening to 22 Ghosts 3 by Nine Inch Nails. And in a second, you'll hear Andrew and I discuss theories of hegemony, democracy, and whether or not Laclau's politics produces a coherent strategy for future projects on the left. Reading this, even though everyone, everyone since kind of the resurgence of like post nineties socialist politics and stuff, like everyone makes fun of the the Laclauan move hegemony and socialist strategy book, but I kind of wish I was more familiar with it just to get a better sense of like how Laclau tries to talk about politics and political strategy, and if. I don't know, is it like, is it still as kind of like abstract and like primarily philosophical in a way? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what I know of hegemony and socialist strategy is that the main argument is, okay, so the uh, industrial working class uh, can no longer serve as this uh, proletarian agency to introduce the uh, uh, revolu- the revolution, and so we need to go back to this uh, a certain idea of uh, hegemony where we can join up the different struggles between uh, these new social movements and find uh, what they call a chain of equivalence between uh, all of their uh, demands. Uh, to lead towards uh, a more uh, uh, democratic and pluralist society. And the way that these different identities and uh, struggles uh, can be linked up for Mouffe and Leclerc is uh, is purely discursive. So there needs to be a um, an articulation between these different uh, interests, these different groups, that uh, is able to establish a, a common ground on which they can uh, pursue a, um, a a radical political project. And I think that this approach to uh, a socialist strategy or like uh, socialist thought ended up uh, becoming the, the basis for what's called the Essex School of Discourse Analysis, which is... Obviously, at the University of Essex, largely revolves around uh, the work of uh, uh, Chantal Mouffe and uh, Ernesto Leclau. And um, as I'm, as we've seen in Chantal Mouffe's book from the last set, The Return of the Political, their thought is this kind of 
medley of Gramsci, uh, Derrida, Schmidt, and Wittgenstein. Um, and so it, it, out of this blend of uh, what they see as different kinds of... Um, well, what they take from Gramsci is they take an idea of hegemony from Derrida, they take difference from Schmidt, they take uh, antagonism, and from Wittgenstein, they take language games. Uh, and so uh, if you have a conception of politics as something that's purely discursive, you think about these different struggles as uh, as, as language games that need to find a particular uh uh, articulation of, of of shared meaning uh, to forge an antagonism with like another uh, p- political group, and so this antagonism helps to build the, the the hegemony of the alliance. And this antagonism is obviously built on a, a, the fact that all identity is uh, differential, but some identities can are less differential than others, and actually can find uh, sort of commonalities between them. Um, so this is this is my sense of what the uh, the classic Leclau Mouf project is, and um, what I see in in this book is uh, Leclau taking that and applying it to a particular uh, philosophical problem within like the historical conjuncture of the early nineties, where of course the the Berlin Wall's come down. There's, uh, you know, uh, ethnic conflict in Yugoslavia. Uh, um, there's more. Uh, there's these rise of these new right-wing uh, populist parties in uh, Western Europe, and also the end of apartheid in South Africa, and uh, new multicultural protests in the United States. And so. Um, what the cloud is just doing is like extending his and moves project to these uh to these problems that are i guess the new versions of the kind of uh, issues that they're examining in hegemony and socialist strategy i feel like the first three or so chapters have the most clear kind of relationship to that kind of project i guess to me because they, they they kind of have like that more like almost more like a genio like a genealogy of like certain like concepts or how he views certain things like he has the the i think it's the first chapter is kind of his attempt to like break down the problems of like traditional views of what emancipation is um and what he thinks is wrong with the way it's usually discussed um and then he has like the uh his his discussion of universalism and particularism with regard to the kind of rise of social movements being seen as this kind of new new force um that's like not a clear unified subject and then the third chapter being the his his uh discussion of empty signifiers and linguistics with relationship to hegemony um as a, a political political concept a political factor Admittedly, I found that one a bit like long-winded and kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm just not the biggest fan of like Saucerian linguistics in general, but it was just, it, I don't know, like that, that one in particular of the, the kind of core, the core essays, I was a bit like, okay, like 
I don't remember a whole lot of chapter four, even though I read it for reread it fairly recently. Yeah, subject of politics, politics of the subject. You know, he kind of goes into his critique of foundationalism and stuff. He has some more stuff on universality and like particularism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how he brings up his um, experience in Argentina, Argentina, because this is obviously a very crucial element of uh, Leclerc's political and uh, theoretical. Uh, development because he was, uh, you know, gr- growing up in Buenos Aires in the 1940s, and like he was was familiar with uh, Peronist uh, populism. Um, he was in, like in the 50s and 60s. He was part of different like uh, uh, socialist groups, uh, in particular like the Socialist Party of the National Left. And um, I think that he was part of the leadership there and edited the the party journal. And he started to, I I guess, get the initial sparks of his uh, later political uh, project from these experiences. And uh, he had this uh, disagreement with the Argentinian uh, Socialist Party about the, the the role and the interests of the the working class, and he felt that he, he started to grasp in his own way that there is no natural interests to the working class that just need to be activated by the party, and that uh, any kind of populist um, project would have to uh, construct. Um, Political alliances, not along class lines, but a lot beyond class lines, in the efforts to establish like a larger uh, hegemonic force between uh, a variety of uh, of social forces that were not necessarily reducible to uh, just class. So, um, I mean, for, 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 from this experience, he was sort of drifting away from a more kind, uh, uh, drifting away from a uh, certain Marxist problematic that sees uh, the working class as the as the incarnation of the uh, universal force of history. And he's very critical of this uh, uh, notion in those, uh, you know, well, in those, well, th- th- throughout the entire uh, book, but definitely in those first sort of four essays. In a way, it's, it's kind of, like funny to me just thinking about while I was reading him, like this just reminds me of the kind of stuff I would read in undergrad with, yeah, that kind of focus on like pointing out the, the, the radicalism of like this kind of like the irreducibility of certain forms of difference, but like, you know, the, the, the linkages of these different struggles and like not having to, like seek any one particular kind of subject and stuff um and but like mostly mostly argued and expressed through these kind of like philosophical approaches and frames um but it it also like it just made me think of like and and some of the stuff with with argentina too just makes me think of like some of the trends that were happening with negri and like the struggles he was like talking about and the way that he was he was like framing uh the multitude and empire um, but I was also just kind of thinking about, like, in a way, what what really distinguishes some of this, like, practically from maybe, like, 
the way that certain kinds of like American communization talk about social movements and like the lack, you know, any unified like working class struggle as such. And I, I think that on the one hand, the other, the one thing for them is probably that they don't like they, they don't kind of stick to like the positive side of identity in the same way. Because Laclau kind of still has a, he talks about like, oh, you don't need to get stuck in the particularism of your identity, but he has this kind of vague, like, you have your identity, but you always like relate it and grow with it difference and like relation to other things and, and stuff like, whereas I think some of the like endnotes and stuff that they're pretty like, you have to negate the identity, you have to negate like the sense of definitive selfhood and, and, and stuff like that. And then also like, obviously the the trend to avoid any kind of like electoral like official politics i guess they don't always stick super closely to that but like um but i don't know it was just kind of funny to me like thinking about like if you take them like what is the kind of like the most radical approach to something that has like similar viewpoints in a way but like the difficulty is i think in part like you were you were saying before like Laclau has this approach of like because he talks about things in largely like kind of abstracted political positions so much of it is built around this idea of just like hegemony and democracy as such that like he doesn't he doesn't really have like any particular kind of like social uh i don't know like mechanisms or like things in particular to like try and overcome or like contest really it's you know, versus also like someone like the endnotes communizers or something, they do have, I mean, it's, it's still like somewhat vague, but like the main thing for them is often like the focus on the social relationships that constitute like value in the Marxian sense. Like, whereas here he, I don't know, like it, it is kind of like weird to me that it has this sense of just like, well, we have to like produce an understanding of like popular democratic hegemony like, and I'm just like, okay, like, I, I don't really know exactly what that means. And and like you were saying before, that, that he has this kind of view of like, it's like democracy in and of itself is kind of his foregrounded principle to the point that he would say, like, if I had to choose between socialism, democracy, and uh, I don't remember what the third one is. Uh, liberalism. Liberalism, yeah. He, he's just like, oh, I would choose democracy. So I don't, like, I don't know, it's... It privileged is like a certain generalized kind of like sense of the political, but it doesn't seem to me to have very many like points about like the actual operation of like the social world. Yeah, and he seems to. Um, I mean, obviously, this is where he sides with uh, Derrida to a certain extent, uh, especially the idea of uh, a democracy to um, to come. And uh, we spoke about that a bit in our episode mm -hmm. on uh, Derrida's book on friendship. But the, I mean, the, the what the democracy to um, uh, come suggests isn't like there is going to be this. Uh, we can think of a better democracy on our heads, and it's just it's just coming down the line. Uh, nor is it like obviously going to ha happen in any sort of deterministic sense. It's just that we need to have this uh, openness towards um, a kind of uh, radically other form of 
uh, social life, a, d- a democracy that can't be uh, predetermined, a democracy whose contents can't be predetermined, you can't think it out in advance. You just need to be open to that promise of uh, a radical plural democracy and even in the work of uh, of Mouffe, who i think is even it was slightly more concrete than the clow mm-hmm. um what a, a, a project of radical and plural democracy represents is kind of vague because it sort of suggests hey um the people who are going to be part of this uh, hegemonic linkage that's going to uh, uh, support this project, they all have their own demands that need to be uh, forged or linked together in a chain of equivalence. So we can't really describe what the the contents of this democracy is going to be other than, uh, like, there's going to be more egalitarianism in more places, and it's got to be plural because we've got to make sure that we take all of the the interests of these groups into account and so it's always this this is sort of unfinished project for them that will that we need to have a sort of openness to and i think that why le clau favors democracy uh, over liberalism and socialism is that he sees in these two ideologies, too many efforts to foreclose that openness in advance to really fix that relationship between the universal and the particular. Within uh, liberalism, the universal is associated with a particular period of the, the Enlightenment with its commitments to a certain form of rationality that uh, can if we go go along the lines of the Frankfurt School, turn into uh, something more uh, repressive or aggressive. Um, uh, and socialism, where the, uh, the, the universal cycle of history is incarnated within this particular uh, subject of, the, of the, the working class as a proletariat. And so these are two fixed relationships between the universal and the particular that... Uh, Leclerc no longer thinks as tenable. And so he wants to make sure that that tension between the universal and the particular is always is always taught and never resolved, uh, because this is where it, it, it's in that it, it's in the continuation of that uh, tension without uh, resolution that a proper like radical plural democracy can take place and we can start to uh, forge a democratic project that really takes into account the new social uh, movements. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's also kind of frustrating because you just, it's like, it, 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 well, it reminds me of the, the Derrida interview we uh, uh, read before we did the, 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 did the podcast on, the talk, on his book on friendship that closes with this call for the democracy to come. And the interview was just like, what is the democracy to come? <laughs> Tell me what it is. Um, and it's just sort of like, oh, we need to have, like, we need to make sure that human rights are taken account of. And it's just sort of, we need to be nicer yeah. to one another. Um, because it, it's, I mean, th- th- theoretically, it's obviously, you know, you can't have, 
you can't say what it is, but mm-hmm. like I, I, as soon as you say what it is, then there's obviously this sort of um, it's just it's just this guy saying it. It's just either Derrida or Leclerc saying what they want, rather than the, the demands of the different groups that they want to have come together into these democratic projects. Um, and so you you can't have someone being the 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 strategist from above or the you know the uh, elaborating these demands they need to come up more uh, organically um i and i think that i mean one thing that i find sort of frustrating about this text and i wonder whether the uh, clown move really delve into it more in hegemony and socialist strategy is that their conception of hegemony is um really weird i think yeah yeah um and so i don't know what what it means i mean obviously it probably they probably do develop this idea in hegemony and socialist strategy because it's part of the fucking title um but in their later works it's just sort of like naturally assumed so maybe the answer is in that original text <clears throat> but even the hints of hints of like that idea of hegemony that come come through in this book are very like confusing and um not like it, it, it's confusing and i'm not sort of in uh entirely sure how it works i think yeah well because the the clearest like the, the clearest i i could kind of get is there's a part i think it's when he's like talking about it in relationship to the empty signifier yeah yeah where you it, it seems to me that he's kind of like making this claim of like hegemony is sort of the it's sort of just like the political process whereby you know a, a movement or uh, uh i mean like classically it's you know like a political party or whatever but um like the process by which its particular like content and like goals and whatever kind of become yeah like this like empty signifier of a society like a social promise as such uh-huh uh because he had like a part where he says uh this is page 43 the relation by which a particular content becomes the signifier of the absent communitarian fullness is exactly what we call a hegemonic relationship the presence of empty signifiers in the sense that we have defined them is the very condition of hegemony um a class or group is considered to be hegemonic when it is not closed in a narrow corporatist perspective but presents itself as realizing the broader aims either of emancipating or ensuring order for wider masses of the population um no, admittedly, I don't exactly. The thing I don't get, like, I kind of get what he's saying there. Uh, I don't really get, yeah, like, when he kind of tries to connect it to his own emancipatory political project, I don't really get, like, what he wants hegemony to, like, be in terms of, like, a positive, you know, with with the kind of, like, chain of demands and stuff. Like, I don't exactly really know what it's supposed to constitute because. Um, the whole problem of like he wants like democracy, but he can't really say what he actually wants it to be. Uh, it, it, it's kind of funny because like he's he's making like a claim, like so much of it, so many of his claims are he's like trying to like lay out this like analysis of politics as such. But when it comes to like actually talking about doing politics, <clears throat> he kind of takes the easy road out that he can just kind of like date what he wants is something that he just takes as a good value like to to uphold basically so yeah you can kind of like we need to have a more thorough analysis of like 
these political relationships and it's like and what do we want with it and and you instead of saying like instead of having like a actual political goal you can anyone can just kind of be like well i don't care about like i don't necessarily want you know yeah like liberalism or like social democracy or like i don't i don't care about that i just want you know freedom i want the good things yeah like that you know i keep thinking of that like just the like simpsons bit of like twirling ever <laughs> twirling twirling towards freedom like <laughs> like um and i don't know i'm admit i'm admittedly not the most i never really got into gramsci so i don't like really i haven't read a lot of his like original writings where he like actually talks about hegemony i know it's like one of those things that's like infamously kind of fussy because so many people like all take it from him but they all kind of use it in their mm -hmm. own ways like the only other person that i like really have much influence by who talks about gramsci and hegemony in a way that i thought was kind of useful understood is like someone like like burrow boy michael burrow yeah, yeah um but he like he like he talks about hegemony like very specific to like workplace relationships and like like his his analysis is kind of similar in that he kind of talks about the shift in how workplaces started trying to present themselves as representing the interests of the workers in the workplace itself so yeah it has a little bit of that kind of like empty signifier aspect to it but he's also saying like there's a distinct shift in terms of like in the post-war post-world war ii area where like businesses are able to try and shield their labor markets from the broader labor market by you know this move towards seniority contracts you know the way that businesses started to to accept or even encourage union membership with the idea that the unions would be allied to the interests of the business operating your business with this principle of like we are going to try and have consenting workers who want to want to do the work want to be productive this idea that if the worker if we tell the workers that they're productive and they help the business make more money they will benefit from it it's kind of like the way that he talks about hegemony like i said like you there there is sort of a similarity there in terms of that kind of like one group trying to transform itself into a representation of like this kind of communal program as a whole for everybody but it's just, it's just much more specific. Um, and that's kind of like the only other account of hegemony that I really know. But, the, but I mean, my own understanding of uh, like hegemony in the Gramscian sense comes from like, uh, Guido Ligori's book, uh, which was one of the books that was translated for the historical materialism series by uh, David Broder. And uh, it's a text that sort of uh, takes a very philological approach to uh, Gramsci's thought and he stresses that one of the things that really gets overlooked in Gramsci's uh, notion of uh, hegemony is obviously it's like materiality for uh, for Gramsci the, the the term hegemonic apparatus like the actual material infrastructure by which hegemony is maintained is actually more important or, or just as important as this sort of um as a sort of discursive formulation yeah. of like trying to forge different groups into a, a social block. And this is what's obviously very absent in the clown moves conception of uh, hegemony because mm -hmm. so it's all uh, discursive. 
Our approach to politics is there is no like like pre-linguistic foundation or ontology that we can like appeal to as a natural interest. It's all of these sort of discursive uh, linkages, which I think does make like the the strategy of forming alliances between different movements much easier. But it's not. Uh, quite the same or can't be mapped onto like a hegemony in uh, a Gramscian sense or it loses a lot of like the force of um, Gramsci's like approach to politics because I mean for, for, for Gramsci like the, you need institutions you need organizations and those like and those sort of material bodies need to operate in a certain uh, like demo through a kind of organic centralism, mm-hmm. um, and that account of like how does the how does the chain of equivalence work, Ernesto, uh, it, 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 it is missing. I mean, it, it, it might just be there in hegemony and social strategy, and we're just maybe like annoying any like fans of Leclown move out there who have obviously read the book, yeah. but um. There is obviously something, uh, I mean, I I guess that this is also just something that I find uh, annoying about Leclerc Mouffe's, like, theoretical framework is that it takes certain elements from different thinkers and loses, I think, maybe some of the things that are more interesting from those thinkers. Um, And so... It's hard to place them in a theoretical trajectory because they are their own. Their own they are their own thing. Um, I think. Um, yeah. Unless you want to be like, uh, unless you want to be, you know, like Ellen Mikeson's words about it, and say they're just like that new true socialism mm-hmm. uh, all over again. They want to have a socialism without, you know, be, they want to be, look look like socialists without actually uh, being socialists yeah. without, you know. Uh, seeing that the, the important thing is that there needs to be a clear cl- transition between capitalism and socialism. Mm-hmm. But um, w- w- within the Klaus work, that the, the idea of a transition as a, a teleology is um, abandoned, mm-hmm. uh, partially because he sees the classical notion of um, emancipation as logically inconsistent as he uh, stresses in that uh, original essay and in, in that first essay in this collection where he's like there are certain uh, dimensions of emancipation that have already always been associated with the modern forms of like emancipatory politics but these dimensions don't work well together and so maybe we need to scrap emancipation and embrace uh freedom i think the the the, the final line of that that uh essay beyond emancipation is uh is we can perhaps say that today we are at the end of emancipation and at the beginning of freedom i mean and that freedom is sort of identified as we are no longer tied to uh, a particular ontology or a particular agency that um has that uh, status of uh, a, a universal subject who can bring in that uh, transition to a new kind of society. That uh, there is, we, 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 we have the freedom to engage in these different forms of politics, these different ways of uh, negotiating the universal in the particular, as no longer tied to those 
traditional schemes of uh, modern politics that you find in, you know, uh, more sort of, I guess, second international-ish politic, uh, second international-ish communism, I guess. Because, I mean, that's sort of another, that's another rabbit hole, but that's the part, that's the area of, like, the Marxist tradition that they really seem to have a beef with, um, especially in hegemony and socialist strategy. Uh, which I will stress again is a book that I haven't read, but I like you can't avoid you you can't. It's a, it's a book that I haven't read, but to, you can't avoid reading enough stuff about it in other books to get a gist of what it is about. <clears throat> that that Ellen Mason's would critique that's not in radical thinkers is it that's in no no it, it, it's in like another uh, verso series thing like the yeah it's, it, one yeah it's, it's in the verso classics that i think was yeah. the precursor to the radical thinker series yeah yeah but i don't know I, I think that that's like um i think that's the sort of political marxism's critique of yeah post-marxism right yeah basically uh, it's a it's a kind of yeah an attack on on the the social theory that just sort of tried to like abandon a class analysis as like a primary foundation. Yeah, I would, and also abandoned socialism as a horizon. I mean, I, I think that's obviously very clear in uh, McLaren Wolf's work. That I mean, they're, they're, they are of the left, but they aren't socialists, or they're socialists in man. That sounds yeah. I don't want to sound like a like a purist or a snob or something, but it does seem like there is in their conception of socialism, it's just sort of they they hang out with socialists, but they're not like socialists themselves in a certain sense, you know. I have to say, I, I kind of liked the. I think I liked the Move book more, just in terms of the pieces by her, where like she would critique like John Rawls, for instance. I, I just felt like she had a much clearer kind of analytic style with that. I, I found her her attempts when she kind of tried to like discuss more concretely what their political aims were. It was still fuzzy, but I felt like her more specific kind of analyses were more cogent to me. And there's stuff in here that like I don't necessarily find too bad. Like the I think that the first essay is like pretty decent. Like I I, I appreciate his points about kind of uh, like the dichotomies of how on the one hand emancipation is treated often as like this hard break from a from a prior social form um but also like emancipation also usually kind of assumes that there is state of freedom or resistance to domination within the social form that is surpassed and he says like well therefore you can't you can't have it be a hard break because the kind of freedom that is being provided that comes through being emancipated by the forms of domination like have to already be recognized in some capacity as being stifled in the prior social form so it there's something already there that can't just be a hard break not like i don't know it, it was one of those things i was reading it was like okay this is kind of a neat like there's like certain certain things about it that i thought were interesting but it, it, it's just one of those it's one of those things where i kind of read it i was like oh that was interesting moving on like <laughs> It, it it's frustrating because it, it does feel it, it's one of those things where you're like, well, this is a good analysis of like the problems of a certain kind of, yeah, like discourse around it, but it didn't necessarily, I don't think, I don't think that like these discursive analyses are actually the best ways to talk about like 
what's socially at stake um, for people or like to actually explain like how people interact with the world and the kinds of ideas that they generate, even if even if like discussing the kind of uh, inconsistencies and how emancipation is talked about in, in classical social theory. It's also like it doesn't necessarily have a good account of like what people do in practice or like uh, what not even in the sense of like what is to be done. Just like I just don't think it has a very good view of like, I don't know, like it, it, it I, they just have this kind of theory of mind that is just a very like it just holds the yeah, that kind of like Salsarian linguistic Levi Straussian kind of view of like the totality of differences and stuff that I just don't think it's a convincing account of what people do and how they think and like how it, it runs into this thing of treating it like that the political project is ultimately kind of to adjust a like web of concepts in people's heads. And it's like, if we can get people to have this kind of connection of concepts in their minds, then they will be better at doing what we want them to do. I mean, I think if you were to sort of caricature this essay somewhat, it's basically saying like, oh, you think you're doing emancipatory politics? Well, actually, emancipation is impossible. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, th this goes back to the, the Wood critique of like how Leclerc and Mouffe don't think that uh, transition is possible because all of the, the all of the um, dimensions that Leclerc sees as associated with the emancipation is the classical notion of emancipation all have to do with like, oh, we're definitely shifting from like this one stage to uh, the next stage, the, 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 the better stage. And so and that, that this transition can be uh, carried out in a relatively unproblematic way. And for Leclerc and Mouffe, and I think other sort of post-Marxist theorists of the time who were coming, who were coming out of like various post-structuralist milieus really are now much more hesitant about that, uh, anything that stinks too much of teleology. And so... For them, like we should get away from any kind of notion, any sort of uh, concept that's associated with uh, seeing politics as uh, engineering this kind of historical transition. And you see this in like the work of Hart and Negri and the, and the multitude of this search for like uh, different subjectivities that are no longer like associated with a traditional working class, and. Uh, out of this alliance of new uh, subjectivities, you get a pursuit of a more sort of uh, democratic forum of political life. You know, uh, this is where like the Hart and Negri would like stress life in common, like the commons, um, uh, rather than like a socialist society or a communist society. Um, there is that pursuit of. Um, like of a goal or some sort of uh, aspiration of a uh, kind of society to come that can't be like pinned down. And so 
the Klaus critique of emancipation is largely like, well, we can't actually know what the transition, know, know what the kind of society that we're emancipating ourselves into looks like. Uh, partially because, like, if we ha- if, if there's this pre-existence of the identity to be liberated through uh, the emancipation, that identity will change through the moment of uh, emancipation or the moment of political change. And so there is no way we can... I mean, I, it, people can't be emancipated in that sense, so there, there is this, this sort of vision of political you know, changes as endless rather than a shift between two stages. Um, and so I, I feel like that's where his like critique of emancipation, that's what he, that's where he wants to steer his critique of emancipation towards this sort of a conception of radical politics as this uh, endless process that can never be resolved. We can never find that proper relationship between the universal values and particular identities, even though that both are splits and refract one another in, in different ways. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else you really want to like touch on with with this? Because I mean we didn't really talk about the later three essays and like I said, I re I reread it to like catch up because it had been a while. Um and I only really was had time to reread the the first half and but the, the other thing about it is that the second half, like two of them, it's the essay where he just talks about specters of Marx, basically, and then the one on Richard Rorty. Yeah, and as yeah, as I was saying before we uh, start uh, recording, uh, both of those essays can be uh, reduced to like the Klaus saying. Um, Derrida did some good deconstruction in Specters of Marx, but he wasn't. Uh, deconstructive enough. Um, so um, and and like his ideas still contain like a, a residue of the kind of uh, messianism that uh, uh, Derrida wants to um, escape. Uh, uh, so the clouds now go come a- a- along and do a better job at deconstructing these ideas than Derrida. And with uh, Richard Rorty, he's like, oh, Rorty did a really good, like, anti anti foundational approach to politics here, but it wasn't anti foundational enough because he continues to carry this commitment to certain uh, uh, liberal uh, values that assumes a uh, a, a ground. Or, or a foundation. So I'm going to be more anti-foundationalist than Rorty because mm-hmm. um, I am the clown and I, I'm I'm the best of the anti-foundationalists. Um, yeah. But in the critique of Rorty, I mean, I think the clown's point that uh, what is it that Rorty sees the uh, link between uh, bourgeois liberal democracy as an indivisible whole and um, Leclerc sees it as a contingent articulation that can be uh, re-articulated in different ways. You can de-articulate democracy out of that formation and produce and link it back up to uh, forms of radical and pluralistic politics. Um, and so, um, because Leclerc holds a discursive view of politics, these um, it's like we go 
like recontextualize these different traditions, terms, and tendencies into a, a different project that goes towards uh, our vision of what, uh, well, not our vision, but our sense of what a better society could look like, a society that really takes into account the interests of these new social movements and increases the number of spaces in which democracy can take place. This book feels like Laclau was a bit of a a gotcha philosopher. <laughs> he, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Has a tendency to like a lot of his yeah a lot of his analyses are like, oh look, you're actually quite like people say they want this, but this is inconsistent. Or, or in the case of Derrida and Rorty, he can just he just kind of likes to go like, oh they were okay, but I'm going to outdo them. <laughs> their own game um hold, hold, hold my beer yeah yeah but he yeah he doesn't like necessarily he doesn't seem to like think that he actually has to put that much else on the table <laughs> like um so i don't know it was it, it was interesting to get a little bit more familiar with what he actually writes about and his approach um but it didn't it didn't necessarily like I do think it would be good. I, I would like to maybe read Hegemony and Socialist Strategy just, yeah, because it's cited a lot and it's just from a very particular period of debates about, you know, the possibility of certain kinds of radical politics and things. But it didn't necessarily give me a lot of, like, confidence that would be a, a particularly mind-blowing book. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking through like the the citations now, and it seems that in every in every essay that has uh, like notes in it, except for one, uh, like he always cites hegemony and socialist strategy, and I've, I think this is also a, a something that. Uh, uh, Milf does in her essays like it's a constant uh, reference to their later work, and so, um, I mean, I guess that this is just the way that the the, the sets in the Radical Thinkers series are um, put together. But it is the the, the, the two introductions that you get to uh, Milf, like the clown Milfism, uh, in the Radical Thinkers series. It's like later work like you're you're arriving too late to really like start uh in the in, in the right place um so and I, I think that the hegemony and socialist strategy is in set four or set five so we'll get there eventually that's all for this episode thank you for joining us for this discussion of ernesto laclau's emancipations up next, we have the collected book Aesthetics and Politics, featuring correspondences between Adorno, Benjamin, Bloch, Brecht, and Lukash. If you want to support the podcast and have access to additional interviews and bonus episodes, you can consider supporting us for $3 a month on Patreon. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.